Parents find a balance with cell phones, social networks, and video games in the lives of their children. What are some practical tools and resources that can help the entire family use technology wisely and responsibly? Join us today as I interview Brian Hausman. He's been working with parents and teens for more than 20 years and has spoken at hundreds of conferences, led students and parent programs nationally and internationally, and written extensively. Today, we'll discuss his book, Tech Savvy Parenting. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Brian, for being our guest today on Family Shield. Tell us why you wrote this book. Well, uh, I'm so glad to be here with you today, Kay, as well, with the Family Shield listeners. And uh, Tech Savvy Parenting came about because uh, I've been a, a, I was a youth pastor for about 13 years. And then uh, I started traveling full time as an author and speaker uh, for now 13 years doing this. And everywhere I went, parents began to have questions about technology and just trying to come to grips and, and an understanding of how their kids are using it, why they're using it. Uh, why they spend so much time in front of screens. And so I started doing some research, you know, about five years ago, and I couldn't find a book on the Christian market addressing this issue. Now there's a couple other books besides mine out there as well. But we really started crafting this book, and I wanted to write a very user-friendly uh, almost like an, uh, you know, a, a parent's idiot guide, you know, so to speak, because <laughs> uh, we're all in the same boat when it comes to this. Uh, there are no parent experts when it comes to technology. And so uh, begin to do this, uh, write this, and a big part of it is I want to make it a very visual book as well. So, you know, every page has pictures on it, graphs on it, so it kind of visually walks parents through the, the technological lives of their kids. That's great. That's great. Research shows there is a direct correlation between the use of media and academic achievement for children between 8 and 18 years of age. What is this correlation? Well, th- there's actually two different things. You know, one is that, you know, I-, I don't want your listeners in any way to think that I'm saying that technology is evil. Technology is not bad, nor is it good. You know, it's innate. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's how we use it as people that can become unhealthy or even many times as a Christian, can become ungodly. And so for, for me, when it comes to all of this, um, I've got to look at both the, the positives and the, the weaknesses. And on one side, when it comes to academics, you know, there's some studies that show that we can use technology in a positive way with our kids to reinforce what they're learning. But on the flip side, uh, there have been more studies done showing that the more a child spends time on social media in particular, I think because of the addictive nature of it, you know, once you get on it, it's hard to get off. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like video games. That the, you spend, they spend so much time on it that it begins to uh, take away from their brain being able to focus on academics. So it's not necessarily that it's retarding growth in any way or, or brain understanding, but it's that it takes so much time away from them being, them being able to focus on their studies. So, again, I think part of the deal is with parents is we have to help our kids find a balance mm-hmm. in using this so that it doesn't own them, but yet they are, are owning some, some uh, healthy boundaries themselves. 
You bet. Balance, yes. You also say that parents should have great concern for how their child's life is affected by their use of technology. So what should parents do or not do related to technology? Well, I think the biggest thing, Kay, is parents should not just let give up. Yeah. Parents should not just allow their kids to fend for themselves when it comes to technology. You know, technology is one of the, I think, is the one area in our lives between the generations that separates us. Mm. Because for us as grown-ups, it's one of those things that we have to integrate technology into our lives. We have to figure out how this new iPad fits in with my old Android phone and how does that fit in with my TV. And, but for our kids, it's almost like you, know, you, know, you, you gave birth to your child and the doctor cut the, the umbilical cord and attached a Wi-Fi cable. You know? <laughs> because our kids and grandkids have always been wired. That's right. And they know how to intuitively use this stuff. So sometimes what happens as parents, we, we, when we start off when they're young, we were part of their life. We're part of their social life. We're part of their school life, their church life. And so all of a sudden they get to around the age of 10, 11, 12, and they start having screens in their life, and they want social media and cell phones and video games. And we as parents just wrap this stuff up, put it under the Christmas tree, and give it to them without nary a conversation about mm-hmm. how to use it wisely mm-hmm. or responsibly or godly. And so in many ways, we've just kind of put our kids in the deep end of the pool and said, figure this out yourselves. Mm-hmm. So we need to guide them. That's so yes. important. So one of the things we can do is, like, for instance, in the United States, the typical child's first cell phone is at age 11. Hmm. You know, and I, just me personally, I feel like that an 11-year-old does not have the life experience to understand how the information that they're sharing online could potentially be used against them. You know, which is why there's a federal law called the COPA Act, the Child Online Protection and Privacy Act, COPPA, and it requires that technology companies aren't allowed to gather personal information from anyone under the age of 13, meaning that no one under 13 is supposed to be on social media. But what we know now is that 55% of all 12-year-olds have a social media account, one out of three of all 11-year-olds, 20% of all 10-year-olds, and there's no way these kids are being responsible with what they're sharing because mm-hmm. we're not having conversations with them. Right. Uh, over 88% of all teenagers say that their parents trust them to be responsible online. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's like me saying if 88% of parents said that they trust their children to drive responsibly, then what that means is we're not going to follow our kids and our car behind them because we trust them. So when 88% of teenagers say their parents trust them online, that's like saying... 88% of parents have checked out, mm-hmm. you know, are not following up and being part of this with their kids. So one of the things I really encourage parents to do is that whenever the day comes that you're going to let your kid be on social media or you're going to buy them a cell phone, is to have monitoring software, safety software, you know, on those cell phones. So when you go to your local cell phone store to buy a phone, you can say, you know what, I'm ready to spend hundreds of dollars on this new smartphone for my kid but you have to set up the safety controls first, the parental controls, and they will do that for you because they want your money. And if they don't, then go somewhere else and buy it. Yeah. And so, because, you know, we're the consumer, and so you want your kid to be safe. Then you can wrap it up, put it under the tree, and when they take it out on Christmas morning, boom, it's ready to go. It's safe because you've set up all the restrictions ahead of time. That's great. That's great to know, and that's great and very important for parents to do. That's awesome. We'll talk more about what parents can do and not do as we go through the program. You also wrote in the book that the average number of texts 
sent by an American teen each month is 3,339. Why is texting the preferred means of communication for teens today? Well, it's for several reasons, Kay. One, it's for them it's quick and efficient, and they can have many different conversations going on at the same time. Whereas, you know, you and I are talking on the phone right now, and that means that I can't be talking with anyone else. You know, we've, we've tied up communication just between the two of us. But with our kids, usually they're not just texting with one person either. It's usually a group text or a group message on Snapchat or Instagram. And so they can, you know, group chat with eight people or ten people at a time. And so then they feel like they're in community with others. Because that's really what technology has done for this generation, is it's changed their understanding of, of community. You know, so used to, if you and I wanted to be in community with each other, we'd go to the skating rink, you know, mm-hmm. or the bowling alley, mm-hmm. or, you know, to Dairy Queen, and, and see each other face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. But now our kids, they can be sitting at the booth at Panera or Wendy's, and, but none of them are having conversation with each other because they're all staring at screens. But in their mind, they're in community with each other. And so I, I think it's just the, the difference in the way that generations, you know, relate and understand a community and communication. Good, good. Uh, you also talk about sexting. And uh, before I ask you a question about that, explain to our listeners what that is, because I know some of them are going to say, what? <laughs> yeah. Tell us what that so is. A sext, which is S-E-X-T, uh, instead of a text, T-E-X-T, is a sexual-oriented text message. And a sext could be done through a text message on your phone, or it could be done through a, a private message, you know, an IM, an instant message on social media, such as Snapchat or Instagram, Facebook. And so it's basically just a private message that's sexually oriented. And it's typically going to be a, a sexual conversation or a photos or videos or those kind of things. Oh, wow. So how serious is sexting among teenagers? It is one of the biggest issues really? that parents are unaware about. Mm. Um, we know that now, this is, there was a study done about two years ago from the Center to Prevent Teen Pregnancy, and they interviewed over 5,000 teenagers. Now, these aren't Christian, non-Christian. These are just coming from all different walks of life teenagers to ask them about how they live out their sexuality with social media. And one of the things they found out is roughly one out of four girls now admit to sending and receiving uh, sexual, uh, I mean, uh, sexual videos or photos of themselves. You know, that they're sending these to other people or receiving some from someone else. It's one out of five of all boys, so roughly 20 and 25% of them. Uh, over 44% of them admit to having sexual conversations with other people. So these are, they're having intimate conversations about their sexuality through an instant message with someone mm-hmm. else. And that besides just having these conversations, part of the danger, too, is that the apps they're using, things like Snapchat, which is the second most popular social media among teenagers, uh, the, the conversations are deleted. You know, there, there is no record. There's mm-hmm, no history mm-hmm, kept. Right. And so when you shut down the app, it erases everything. So as a parent, if you were to check your kid's phone, nothing is going to show oh. up on the app. So besides the, the, the sexual messages, Kay, we have 25% of them admit to having these sexual conversations with complete strangers. Oh, wow. So that the only place they know this person is online, mm. and yet they're having conversations about sexual intimacy. And 12% of them set up a face-to-face meeting with the stranger. Wow. So, so it's part of it, I know for us dangerous. as grown-ups, it is, it's terrifying. We think, yeah. 
you know, not only is it terrifying, but we think it's, it's, uh, it's foolish. You know, we're like, this is crazy. How could you possibly do this? But I actually got to go and interview some teenagers at a Christian high school. And I was showing them these statistics, and I said, would you guys agree or disagree with this? And they were kind of quiet for a moment, and finally one of the guys spoke up and said, I don't know of anyone that hasn't done this. Mm. And so I asked what I thought was logical, which is, why would you do this? Mm -hmm. Why would you have sexual conversations with a stranger? Why would you agree to meet this person? And finally one of the girls spoke up, and she said, well, it's not like it's the first conversation. Mm. She said, I think it's because you just get used to talking to the person, and you feel like they're one of you, so you can trust each other. Mm. But again, they forget that if, if you've got a one-in-four chance that this person they're talking to is a total stranger, absolutely. then you really don't know that this person is who they say that they are. No, that's absolutely correct. So it's something, again, that parents need to be aware of for the safety of their children and teenagers. Absolutely. It's not because I think our kids are foolish. No. I mean, I, I, certainly uh, teenagers are going to do impulsive things mm-hmm. sometimes. But we have got to understand, instead of just being shocked by the behavior, we have to understand where the behavior comes from. You know, and God, you know, you and I both know God is the creator of community. You know, in the very beginning, he lived in communion with himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see when he makes man and says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes a helpmate for man. So we know that community is a good thing. So when our kids go online and they engage in these relationships that easily get carried away, you know, I can understand how that happens. I don't excuse it. I'm not saying that I can let that go. I'm just saying I understand it because if I understand it as a parent, then I can step into that to speak a a biblical worldview into my kids, to help them understand what a godly relationship looks like instead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brian, I want to make some announcements, and then we'll come back and continue discussing your book, Tech Savvy Parenting. There's so much to learn. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Parenting with Purpose. To request a copy, call the Family Shield Response Center at 1-877-250-8416 or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Don't forget when you call or write to give us your complete name and address. Why not consider putting Family Shield Ministries into your will or estate? We can send complimentary brochures that explain numerous ways you can do this. Most people want to give the majority of their estate to their family, but many also like to put a favorite nonprofit ministry into their estate to receive a small percentage of it. For more information, contact your lawyer or let us connect you to a LCMS Foundation counselor that specializes in estate planning in your location. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to the Thrivent website at www.thrivent.com slash Thrivent Choice or call them and they'll help you do this. 1-800-847-4836. Remember, you must re-sign up to do this on a quarterly basis. All funds given through this Thrivent program go to support our radio outreach. Because although the gospel is free, radio airtime is not. You can also contact us at Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. 
Now I want to go back to our program. My guest is Brian Hausman, author of Tech Savvy Parenting. His website for his ministry is www.360family.org. And I understand you also do a couple blogs. Uh, Brian, can you tell our listeners just a little bit more about that? Uh, we do. I, uh, you could also go to techsavvyparenting.com, where you can. there's more than 50 different free articles and videos that you can uh, download um, you know, to be able to help you as a parent understand the technological lives of your kids. Uh, one of the brand-new things that we just launched two weeks ago on techsavvyparenting.com is an online class for parents uh, called Screen Smarts. Mm. And uh, you can subscribe to that class. It's a, a 52-week online class, and every week you get a six-minute lesson, a video, an article, a podcast. It's going to walk you through a different issue involving the technological lives of your kids. Wonderful, wonderful. I know I've looked at it. There's lots of good resources. And Family Shield has recommended links on our website. We will connect your uh, website to our website as well so that if someone forgets what it was, they can hopefully find it on ours. I want to go back to our discussion. You um, suggest that sending and receiving text for a teen triggers the pleasure center of the brain. Does this mean that this can be addictive? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's it's not just addictive, but it is when it says, when I say that it uh, triggers the the pleasure center of the brain, what texting has done, and this is not just coming from me, this, there are scientific studies that are showing this, that it triggers dopamine in the brain. And so when you're, when you're on social media and you're being affirmed and you're connecting with people, that it's triggering dopamine just like what happens if everything from if you're holding a baby and you're feeling excited to, uh, to if you're taking drugs. And having a high, you know, just it's basically that, that pleasure center of the brain. And so what happens, I think, many times with our kids, this, this chemical is being triggered in their brain as well as in our heart. Because that's really the core of who we are as people, is I don't want us as parents to get locked in on just bad behavior. Because I, if I just focus on the behavior of my kid without understanding the heart and praying that the Lord will change their heart, then nothing really ever changes. And so uh, for kids... They end up being affirmed, connecting with people. And let's say that you are a 14-year-old girl who struggles with her body image, which is every 14-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. And you're on social media, and some boy says, hey, send me a picture. You know, one just between you and I. And everyone knows what kind of picture he's talking about. And so she lays down her bed, and maybe she just unbuttons one button, and she sends her best selfie to him. And the response comes back, not, you're beautiful, but instead, we know the standard today, right, Kay? The standard mm-hmm. is, you're so sexy, you're so hot. So now, what is he doing in that moment? Really, what he's doing is he's feeding her soul. Like, he is affirming part of a God-given need in her life to be loved, to be treasured, you know, to be, uh, to be a center of attention from someone, except it's being done in an ungodly way. Mm-hmm. And so now, what's going to happen logically to the next picture she sends? Because now she feels good about herself, right? But not good in a God-centered good. It's, it's a distorted goodness. And, and really, isn't that what the enemy does? Sure. Is he takes that which God intends to be good, and he doesn't make it blatantly evil. He just distorts it a little mm-hmm. bit off-centered, yeah. so it still has the appearance of goodness. Mm-hmm. So then our kids end up, you know sending one picture after another after another 
that progressively gets worse and worse. Yeah. Well, addiction is one of the challenges that parents have to work on and understand, again, so much of what's happening with the uh, electronic devices. Uh, But just another question about teens and texting. Can parents connect better with their teens by texting with them? Oh, I do think we can use technology in a redeeming way. I think many times if your number as a parent or grandparent shows up on your kid's phone, then their immediate response is, oh, no, what does she want now? You know, mm-hmm. they think that whenever mom's number shows up or dad's number, it's because we're trying to snoop in their mm-hmm. life or we want them to, you know, tell them something that they've done wrong. And so it, it immediately sits off their defenses. But instead, what if we use the thing that they're already using to communicate with each other? We just redeem that same, same thing, which is screens. So like my daughter, like, you know, once every couple of weeks, we'll just send her a Bible verse or send her a silly picture. You know, uh, my wife was going through her baby scrapbooks last week, and so she started taking pictures and sending them to my daughter at school and saying, oh, my gosh, look at this. You know, so it was a positive thing instead of it being a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it, as often as possible that, to think of ways to, to use technology in a positive way to connect with our kids, along with, I think, whenever the day comes that you allow your kids be, to be on social media, that, that you should be connected to them on that social media as well. Good. Good. That, that they should not be on it unless they're connected to you. Because that's part of not just a checks and balances and accountability, but it's also continuing that biblical mindset of community. Sure. saying we've always been in relationship with each other in every other part of life, and so we're going to continue that online as well. You bet. You bet. You put the responsibility on parents to know what each electronic device is capable of doing. Why is this so critical? Well, I think it's because the, the devices we're giving our kids really, I, I don't even know we call it, what we call it a smartphone, Kay. We, we, what we should call it is a mini computer mm-hmm. because these smartphones have more computing power today than our laptops did five years ago. Yeah. And so we're giving our children really a device that gives them access to anyone, anywhere, any time of the day. And they all come with parental controls in, within the, the, the phone, but they're not set up. Uh, there was a, actually a mall survey done a few years ago, and they asked parents of 500 parents of teenagers with smartphones, have you set up any kind of um, safety software or parental controls on your child's smartphone? And almost 82% of parents said yes. Good. Then they asked the teenagers who own the smartphone, is there any kind of safety software? And 11% said yes. Oh, they didn't even know. Yeah, so either it's... a we have a majority of teenagers that are oblivious to what's on their phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or we have a whole lot of parents that tend to overestimate just how involved we are. Uh-huh. And I think it's the, the latter, because I think we, we have great intentions as parents. I don't think it's that we want to abandon our kids. I think it's just that life gets busy sometimes, sure. and we forget to get around to having the conversation. You know, we forget to having the conversation about sexuality. We forget to talk to them about a healthy work ethic, you know, mm-hmm. about healthy friendships, and just life gets busy. And I think we've got to be intentional as parents and grandparents with the time that we're investing in our kids' lives. Yes. Now, one thing I liked about your book is you go into great detail to help uh, parents or myself, a grandparent, to know exactly what 
I can do or my daughter could do and how to do it to change things on the cell phone. You also talk, you know, about gaming. Um, and, and I really like that it's not just generic, it's very specific. And picture, as you mentioned earlier, lots of pictures. So I can, I'm not real uh, computer savvy sometimes, but I can walk through exactly what I need to do. And I learned all kinds of things as I read your book. So I appreciate that. Well, video games are a big part of the lives of adolescent boys in particular. Not that it's just a boy issue, but uh, 92% of all middle school and high school boys say that they play video games at least once a month. Uh, it's the number one activity that they do when they get together as boys uh-huh. is play video games. And so, and, and I, you know, we don't, we don't demonize video games in our home, you know, because I know my son wants to play them with their friends. But again, we want to do it responsibly and wisely. And so there's time of day restrictions mm. that I think we have to put on our kids when they're young. And, and not just when it comes to video games, but when it comes to all screens. So when, I, when my son was like 8, 9, 10, and they got a, we got a Nintendo Wii, you know, this was years ago, um, we had an egg timer, a cooking timer, and, you know, you have 30 minutes you can play. And when it mm-hmm. goes ding, ding, then you're done. No matter where you are, you're done, and we're going to shut off the power. And so what it did is it taught him personal responsibility and time management. Oh, good. Of knowing how to, how to play what I want to, and I need to be at a stopping point before it goes ding because Dad's going to turn the TV off. Sure. Um, but then also, uh, one of the big dangers with video games is the addictiveness of it as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And there have been 98 different studies concerning violence in video games, and they're showing that when our sons play these excessively violent video games, that it does have an effect on their moral decision-making. Absolutely. Yes. One more quick answer. What is the social media fingerprint and why should parents be concerned? Yes, I travel full time all over the country talking to youth groups and parent groups about this. And it's that every one of us have a digital reputation. We have a real world reputation and a digital reputation. And your children, when they start at 10, 11, 12 on social media, everything that they do, every click, every thumbs up, every retweet is adding to their digital reputation. So that one day they're going to try to get into a college, they're going to look for a career, they're going to look for a life mate, and they're going to have have reams and reams and reams of data online about them. And so we've got to help our children and our grandchildren understand how to protect their own digital reputation by making wise choices about what they send to people and what groups they like and what they're a part of online. All right. Very good. Uh, My guest has been Brian Hausman. He has written numerous books. The one we talked about today was Tech Savvy Parenting. Uh, Navigating Your Child's Digital Life. It is a great book, uh, and I would recommend it to you. There was so much that we didn't get to. And again, his website is www.360family.org. Lots of good resources available there as well. You can learn more about Family Shield Ministries on our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. And again, this is Kay Meyer, uh, president and host of the Family Shield radio program, heard on 54 stations around the country. We encourage you to pray for us and uh, let us know uh, topics that we might address. Thank you so much for listening. God bless your day. 
You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.